I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. I was standing in my kitchen, the television was on, having a little breakfast. I was living in Enid, Oklahoma. It was a beautiful September morning. And then the news began to say that there had been an accident in New York City, and it appeared that a plane had flown into one of the World Trade Center buildings. That was strange. Odd, the newscasters were trying to figure out how such an accident could happen. I went on to work. Not very much later, I got a phone call from my wife, and she said, Did you hear what just happened? I said, No, what? And she said, Another plane has flown into the other World Trade Center building. It was September 11, 2001. That day, things changed in America, especially in our airports. Do you remember the commercial that used to invite us to come and fly the friendly skies? Not so much anymore, is it? You have a little sense of fear, a little sense of Uneasiness, a little feeling of trepidation when you get on an airplane these days? I think many people do. Oh, we've sort of gotten used to going through the lines of security, but still people seem to be a little on edge and a little wary. Now, living here in Oklahoma, my day-to-day -day life has not changed so much because of 9-11. But my consciousness, my consciousness has changed. I'm aware now, as you are, that violence can erupt anywhere, anytime, in any place. Now that happened on September 11th for most of America, but for some of us, probably most of us in Oklahoma, it happened April 19th, 1995. Remember where you were when you heard the news that the Murrah Federal Building had been bombed? I remember exactly where I was. I was actually out of state. But it was happening in my home state in Oklahoma City. How could such a thing happen? Such violence, such death, such carnage where we live. 
in our home. And yet it happened. So for most of us, we became aware that violence can erupt anytime, anywhere in 1995. But then to realize after September 11th that terrorists had lived as close to us as Norman, Oklahoma, to where I went to school, where Sarah went to school, many of you all lived and trained to figure out how to fly a plane into a building to kill as many people as possible. And it became clear to us that there were a group of people who had decided Americans were all evil and they would like to kill and maim and hurt as many as possible any place, any time that that might be a possibility for them. And then, of course, with the rise of ISIS more recently, the specter of terror has even broadened as we hear daily reports of more death and more violence. Sermon series we're going to be working on during the rest of Lent has to do with dealing with difficulties that grip the soul. We're going to be looking at different things which plague us in our human existence and how our faith can help us deal with such difficulties even in the face of hearing daily reports about terrorism and war so that's what we're thinking about this morning is how does our faith help us deal with the specter and the violence and the fear that comes with war and terrorism being a constant part of our daily existence i want us to join together this morning and examine how our faith can be a resource to help us deal with these difficulties for I believe that it really can make a difference in how we face these difficulties in our lives in our text this morning from first Timothy we have a short biography of st. Paul now we know that Paul was first Saul and when he was Saul He was not a nice man. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was a zealot. The book of Acts tells us that he attacked Christians at every opportunity. That, In fact, he went house to house looking for people who might be followers of Jesus of Nazareth and pulling them out of their homes either to persecute them, put them in prison, maybe even kill them. In fact, before his conversion, Acts tells us I put this quote from Acts in your outline that Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And in fact, in our reading today, he says of himself in that 13th verse, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. He claims that That's who he was. That's how he lived. But then he goes on in that 13th verse to say, But I received mercy and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love 
that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, Paul writes, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is to say, transformation can happen and transformation does happen. God through Christ can change violence into love and change violators into healers. Oh, it's hard for us to believe sometimes that people we despise and are ready to judge and maybe hurt and punish that God still loves them. It's hard to believe that sometimes. But as you read through the scriptures, you find all of these stories where God has taken a liar, a cheater, a murderer and transformed their lives and turned them into a disciple of Christ or one who is a prophet of God. The Bible is clear that God's love can transform us and change us and move us from wherever we might be, whether it's good or not, to the place that God wants us to be. If you don't think that's a radical and surprising message, just think of someone you personally despise. Someone that you would just soon not be around. Or they not be around. Or maybe even someone who's perpetrated violence on a whole group of people. Do you believe that God can transform them from a life of evil to a life of goodness? The Bible is pretty clear. The answer is yes, indeed, God can do that because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But I don't want us just to think about those others and how God's love can change them. I want us to look a little bit at ourselves today as well. I want to focus on the truth of that good news as applied to our lives. How does God need to change us? Where would God want to transform me? That's the journey of Lent. Introspection, self-examination. Repentance where necessary. Opening ourselves to God's love anew in any and all parts of our lives. I want us to know how God can help us. You may think, how will God do such a thing? How could God even do it for me? When I look at the darkest places in my life, so often even Christians think, oh, God can't really help with that. But the Bible says, no, God will help with that. God will strengthen your faith. God can bring you peace and calm and confidence and wholeness despite whatever experiences you may have had in your life. That's the surprising answer in the Bible in terms of God helping us. And it is this, God meets us in our weakness. God meets us in our weakness so often we think oh i have to be strong i have to be really good i maybe have to be perfect to really have a good relationship with god or for god's love to be alive in my life 
But the Bible says no. Paul says, oh no. Did you hear his story? He wasn't cooperating with God at all. In fact, he was working contrary to God's love, he says, when God encountered him in the risen Christ and God changed him. He was going in the other direction. He wasn't just apathetic. He was going the wrong way and zealously in the wrong direction. And he says, God came to me and changed my life. He not only says it in this text, he says it a couple of other places. If you have your Bibles there, flip over to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Again, this is a work of Paul. He's writing in that chapter about an ongoing struggle he's had. And he's asked God to heal him and God hasn't done it. And in the ninth verse of the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says this is what God said to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Or another place Paul writes is in Romans. Again, if you want to flip over there, the 8th chapter. Paul is talking about a similar thing. And in the 8th chapter, verse 26, he says this. Likewise, the Spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Not when we're at our best, not when we're shining bright, not when we're feeling powerful and strong and invincible. No, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. That's the same thing he's saying in our text today. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can you hear that as good news? That God has sent us Christ and loves us so much. It brings us a sense of wholeness, a sense of peace, that it brings us through all kinds of circumstances. That is the good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save you and me, even in our times of fear and weakness. The good news is when fear grips your soul, God is there. When you feel so weary or worn out, when you feel like you can't go on, the gospel says God is there to hold you up. When you feel like you have stumbled so badly and acted so horribly, that certainly God has abandoned you. The gospel says, oh no, that's the very time God is so very close. God is right there. Even in those terrible times, even when you don't believe it, the gospel proclaims that's when God's love comes most powerfully into our lives. Because God has sent us Christ Jesus to save you and me. To save sinners if you will 
You know the name Brian Birdwell? He worked in the Pentagon in 2001. The last thing his friends heard him say was, I'll be back in a sec, and he walked out of his office to go to the restroom, and then there was an explosion in his wing of the Pentagon like nothing he'd ever seen, even though he was a Gulf War veteran. He said it just picked him up and propelled him down the hallway, knocked him unconscious, flames engulfed his body, the whole corridor was on fire, but then he says a strange thing happened, something cool hit his face, it was water. Somehow, he feels like almost miraculously, the place he had ended up on the floor was right below a sprinkler head. And he said it was like some strange baptism when the water began to drip onto his face and within a very short time doused the flames that had engulfed him. He still ended up with burns over 60% of his body. But the water brought him back to consciousness where he was able to crawl out of the corridor and finally stand and stumble and find his way to rescuers who saved his life. But the recovery, he says, was horrible. And it was terrible. Daily cleansings of raw skin... Skin graft after skin graft, constant fighting of infection, which is the biggest danger to someone who's had their body burned so badly. He couldn't speak for weeks. His wife couldn't touch him. She says she just sat by his bedside and read Scripture as a way to try to comfort him to help him hang on, to want to live, to fight through all the pain and the struggle of those dark days. He did survive. Two months, though, before he got to leave his hospital room. He wasn't even ready to leave the hospital yet, but they let him take a walk, and he went outside. And he said it was such a, Different experience to be outside and feel fresh air on his face than it had been before the accident. And he said he looked up and there was a beautiful patch of blue sky and he felt hope rising inside of himself again. And he said as he stood there outside the hospital, he thought to himself, God must have a mission for me. He said, I didn't know what it was, but I thought God must have a mission for me. There must be some reason I'm still alive. And surely God will reveal it to me before much longer. But he still had to be in the hospital for several more months trying to recover and to make sure that his body cleared all the infection. Finally, he got out of the hospital about Christmas, but he continued to be in physical therapy and only went back to work in March. He said a fateful day came in July. He said there was a firefighter who came to visit him 
who had had similar burns in an accident. And he said, it put a face on what my future might be like, that I really could have a life, that I could go on. He said, seeing somebody who was further down the road really gave me hope. And then he said, someone invited me to go visit somebody who had just been badly burned in a pipe bomb explosion. And he said, I gladly went. And he said, by the time I finished that conversation with that young man who was still in the hospital bed, I realized what God wanted me to do. He said, I went home and talked to my wife, Mel, and we launched what we call Face to Fire Ministries. He retired from the military and began to travel around the country with his wife visiting patients, burn victims, who were having such a hard time believing that life is still worth living. That they really can go on after such horrible things have happened to their body. They've crafted a medallion they give to them as a way to try to encourage them. Mel makes homemade quilts and blankets and gives them to the patients. They say if they ask, then they talk about the faith they have that helped them get through those dark days. I think Brian has found strength in his faith and has found God leading him even through the darkest days of his life. Brian says, you know, everybody in my office perished that day. None of my close co-workers survived. He said, but I see it as a day not to look at what's been done to you, but to look at it as what's been done for you. I put a quote of his in the outline. He says, it's one of those days you just thank God for being alive and ask what you can do in return you thank god for being alive and ask what you can do in return when we turn to god when we're dealing with difficulties god is there that's the bible promise when we utilize our faith the bible says we will be strengthened by god's very presence and maybe, maybe we'll even be empowered, as Brian was, to say, thank you, God, for seeing me through. Faith sustains us when we look to God. When we stay close to God, God can sustain us through any and all kinds of difficulties. We were here in the sanctuary not long ago for Ash Wednesday, many of us, the first day of Lent. While we were together, we read a psalm in the Bible that says it's from King David. Now, we remember King David as a wonderful king, but this psalm remembers the time when David was a terrible person. He was in big trouble, and he knew it. He had done horrible and terrible things. He had been involved in the murder of one of his own subjects. And yet in that psalm, he turns to God and pleads for help and for transformation. And he's trusting that God will come to him. 
just as Paul talks about in our text today, that when he was in his time of trouble, when he was going the wrong way, when he was a man of violence, God came to him through the risen Christ and changed his life. And it's interesting to me in this short biographical section, this first part of 1 Timothy, that Paul ends this section with a doxology. Did you notice that in verse 17? He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The Bible testimony is that when we turn to God, God is there for us. When we focus on God and keep our eyes on God, even in our terrible times, we will experience the uplifting of God's Spirit being present in our life. And not only present with us, but transforming all of who we are that needs to be transformed. When we join a United Methodist Church, we're asked to take a five-fold vow of faith we ask you if you'll participate here through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. But I want us to think about presence for a moment. We say we will participate here fully, that we'll be present together.